Well, hello, my friends. Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever and whatever, and welcome to another episode of Smoking and Toasting. This is show number 44, where we will go straight to the point with Ballast Point. Our special guest will be uh, Mr. James Brown from Ballast Point. We'll ask him about how much teasing he's endured over the course of his life. Because his name is James Brown, people asking him to awesome do name. this. T- it is an awesome name. It is so. Uh, but but more importantly, uh, and this is so good because I'm very thirsty today. He's brought a whole bunch of different Ballast Point uh, beers. He's going to give us a few pointers. <laughs> well, I, I couldn't stop myself from. saying I said that. I'm straight sorry. to the point. So we both are guilty <laughs> of the uh, bad pun. And you have the effects machine. We don't actually have a rim shot. Uh, so we, yeah, we have to come up That's with the something best I else. Yeah. Toilet flush. Well, we have a rim shot, but it's, it runs on a little bit. Oh, right. Well, it's more like a fan oh, right. right? Yeah. So, oh, well. Uh, so we'll we'll put that to good use again uh, later on in the show. Uh, welcome to the program. It is Ballast Point time, and also uh, we'll do another uh, backlash update as uh, uh, AB InBev has invested in another beer-related product, and uh, it seems like as as the larger beverage companies acquire the microbrews and the different uh, craft beer uh, websites and, and organizations in this case, uh, it seems like the backlash is getting a little stronger each time. Or, All your beer are belong to us. Yes, or it's being represented that way in the media one way or the other. It may just be, it could be that the backlash isn't any stronger than it has been. It's just becoming a... It's just one media person. Yeah, but it's just becoming <laughs> a better story. You know what right. I mean? I, I don't know. But uh, but in any case, we'll continue to... Um, I, I was thinking, actually, because we always say the sort of slug line for the show is that uh, uh, is that the program's about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. Maybe we should change craft beer because I don't want to limit ourselves from doing something like you know, tasting you know wicked weed, or uh, you know some of the some of the great brands that are still making great beer that have been acquired. Because let's face it, this trend is not going to go away, right? And the uh, the big guys are going to keep buying. And so, if your favorite brewery is not owned by one of the big guys yet, it's likely to be sometime in the next couple of years. That's just the way things are rolling. Seems to be. Also, when you say craft beer, you might be excluding craft. Um, uh, um other craft style drinks. You mean like ciders, like ciders and things and like things the like, like last week we had Blair on from Austin East Ciders mm-hmm. and he brought some wow those things I wound up with two of the pineapples I'm, left in my fridge they're both gone. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure though if we say craft beer people get it. Well, I, I, and that's probably true. I, I just I, I with the backlash growing though you wonder if someone would come out and challenge. Does us. that include uh, craft malt liquors as well? I don't know. See that that I think should be the next trend. <laughs> Is craft malt craft liquor, malt liquor. Yeah. Uh, craft in a forty? You know, uh, that'd be the thing to do. So, uh, so it's been a very interesting week, and I am proud to announce that we have finally set a date to something that we've been talking about on the show for quite some time. Yes, to see, and now that works perfectly. Thank you. That is so tinny; it almost hurts my ears. Uh, <laughs> I'm proud to announce that the Smoking and Toastin's first blind taste test will be taking place on our show that will be recorded and podcast made available on June 22nd. And it will be, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. What, uh, it'll be available uh, on Radio Brave, of course, uh, on the 24th. But this is our light beer 
blind taste test. The blind light beer taste test. And okay. I'm really excited about this. Because I'm scared to find out. What if I like? What if I like a cold activated can? I yeah. don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> it could happen. It could happen. <laughs> By the way, I've I've been compiling some light beers. And I will say that at the moment, because I only have so much refrigerator space. You've been to my house. Mm -hmm. I only have so much refrigerator space. And uh, I usually am uh, putting beers. If we don't have a guest who's bringing beer, I'm putting beers for this week's show in. And then my own beer that I want to drink. And so the light beer that I've been compiling has been suspiciously staying in my closet next to the (laughs) uh, washer and dryer. And I just wanted to point out that the mountains have not turned blue. They have not turned blue. No, they're still in their original (laughs) gray color. uh, But we have been compiling some light beer. Look how cool our can is. So we're going to ask Bobby, uh, who's our uh, highly overqualified producer, uh, to pour these uh, in, you know, without telling us which is which, and we'll kind of rate them and score them, and then We'll make lists of which we think will be, you know, which we think are the best. And uh, this way, if you're uh, in a position where you want to or need to or are forced to drink light beer, um, you'll know at least what we thought was the best, and maybe that'd give you a good start. That sounds place. like a blast. Is it going to be just me and you, or are we going to invite some no, kind we, of partial, we, we impartial are, judge? We, <laughs> because you're saying we're partial. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, actually, I've invited uh, Maria Todd, who's been on the program with us She's uh, before. She's so fun. And she actually uh, drinks light beer, so this will be a good, ah. uh, this will be a good taste test uh, for her. So that's not the only kind of beer she drinks, but she does uh, she does drink some light beer. And, uh, and I, you know, I drink light beers occasionally, so uh, despite the fact that the cans are still gray. Uh, the mountains are still gray. Um, but anyway, and we're going to have uh, several other guests if all goes well. But that will be June 22nd. And I wanted to say that because uh, my wife's like, I keep listening to the show. You keep saying you're going to do this. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then you, 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 you need to set a date. My wife keeps everything straight in our house. So, um, so I, thanks to her, she's I really, pretty good like that. Day. And you'll be, we're going to be missing a week, the week before that, because you'll you'll be out. So we're going to take a week off. Mm-hmm. And so when you come back, you will return to the light beer. You guys come this, visit so. me in Vegas next week. Uh, <laughs> Dude, let me know if I need to send you money to get home. That's the thing about <laughs> Vegas. You always have to have that one friend <laughs> that if it all goes south, can get you home <laughs> right, somehow. Noted. So I'll be that guy for you. Uh, So, like I said, it's been a very interesting week. We're really excited about Ballast Point being here. We also are going to be uh, tasting a Three Sheets California Small Batch Barrel-Aged Rum, which I'll tell you something about when we get to that in a few minutes. But uh, just, Ian, I just wanted to ask, as we always like to do in this first segment, did you uh, smoke anything interesting this week? Boy, did I. Oh, um, so this week I went, I, uh, I split a box of cigars with a friend of mine with actually a couple friends of mine, a couple friends of mine, uh, a few weeks back, he ended up getting a box of the Arturo Fuente Añejo Reserva number 888 Maduro Lonsdale. Mm. Now say that three times fast. Um, this is a brilliant cigar. It's basically the Maduro Opus X. Yes, I gave you one of those. You did, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna withhold my thoughts until I hear what you have to say. So this is a Nicaraguan cigar. They don't tell you much more about it. It's a seven inches Lonsdale. So it one is, of the things interesting is a lot of the Arturo Fuentes are Dominican cigars. Uh, they're some of them are 
some of them are some of the best Dominican cigars. I did say Dominican, right? No, you said Nicaragua. Oh, no, no, I meant Dominican. Sorry. It is Dominican. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't my know. Fault. <laughs> I just knew it was dark and delicious looking. I'm on autopilot here or something. Um, so anyway, man, it was it had a dark, oily uh, Maduro wrapper that was leathery and toothy, and it was gorgeous. Um, and you don't even know that when you're looking at it because it's wrapped in this beautiful uh, uh, um uh, split this beautiful cedar split and you mm-hmm. pull that off and of course i lit my cigar with the split um and uh and it was gorgeous it smoked beautiful it smoked perfectly like the entire length of the cigar the first from the initial light was fantastic mm-hmm. like it was delicious it was chocolatey it was huge had some earth and some leather in it maintained all the way through the second third of the cigar the burn was perfect uh, I never had an issue with it going out. I did smoke it enthusiastically, however. The uh, ash was <laughs> the ash was uh, uh, was fantastic. I actually had to tip the ash a couple times because it was so long. I was like, I'm going to ruin another shirt. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know I'll try to keep my ash as long as possible. It smokes nice and cool. I smoked that uh, down until it was just about burning my fingers, and I was forced yes. to put it out. It was an amazing cigar. And I'm so glad I have six more of those at the house. Yes, and and you would have seven, except you gave one to I me. I did give you one, and uh, I have also smoked that, and I would concur with everything you yeah, said. It it's, was it's just an amazing. Cigar. It was just fantastic. In fact, it was just one of the things I really liked about it. I'm a fan of a slightly smaller ring gauge. You like uh-huh. some of the big fat right, cigars. Right. This one was a slightly smaller ring gauge torpedo, and it man, it was just. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was, and it's a great smoke. And it's a pretty long smoke for a smaller ring gauge mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it was. I got it for a pretty good price. We split a box between three people. I think I have about nine dollars per stick in it. Mm-hmm. And at that price, the price to quality at that price point is outrageous. It's eight or nine. Wow, that, that, that's great. Um, at the full price, which is probably almost double that what you'd buy it at a shop, um, which is well worth it. I'd probably still give it a six. It's well that's, above what you pay for. It's that's a great, great cigar. That's great. And as uh, regular listeners know, price to quality, five means you got what you paid for. That's right. Now so I ran a, you out of time. If what it's did a, you smoke this week? Well, I'll tell you very quickly. I also smoked another uh, fairly small ring gauge cigar, and it is now very quickly becoming my go-to cigar. I got a box of the Drew Estate Undercrown Corona Vivas. Ah. Uh, remember that fifty dollar? Uh, uh, sorry, we screwed up your order. Uh, yeah. a code that I got from Cigars International. So I used that to buy this. Uh, to, it, it was more than the fifty, but I used that to buy a box of these babies. And uh, this is the cigar Drew Estate. Uh, it makes the highly popular Liga Privada Number no. Nine. And they had to force their rollers to stop smoking those because they were way behind on demand from cigar stores, <laughs> the right? providers are awesome. Yeah, well, they are. And so the rollers decided, okay, they took some similar tobacco, but that wasn't necessarily what they were, you know, kind of short on, uh, and rolled the Undercrown line. And uh, they were so good that the Drew Estate guys said, okay, we're releasing these commercially. So uh, this is Nicaraguan tobacco, San Andreas Maduro wrapper. The pre-light was as rich as anything that I've smoked, tobacco sweetness, some spice. It was very complex from the beginning. And I love when a cigar does that, when it doesn't 
take, you know, half the cigar to start, you know, giving you something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was great from the beginning, but about an inch in, it really, really came alive. And uh, some nuttiness, wood, earth, a little bit of sweet vanilla on the finish. I will say, this cigar produces an ungodly amount of smoke. <laughs> and I've smoked a couple Crazy, of them, huh? so it wasn't just the one stick. But this is not one you're going to smoke covertly somewhere. It's a, <laughs> it, it's it's going to produce some smoke. So, uh, price to quality. going to give it a 7 It's about a $7 cigar although i got this box a little cheaper and we have a winner ladies Good and gentlemen day for cigars. my new my new go-to yes all right we're gonna be uh, right back and we're gonna bring in james brown uh from ballast point wave james at the uh, at the facebook live camera welcome back Smoking and Toasting show number 44. And um, we are going to go straight to the point, but I'm Ching uh, with Dallas Point uh, because we've got a number of beers to taste. So uh, I want to uh, say hello to Mr. James Brown from Dallas Point. Hey there. Thanks James, for having how are me. You? I'm doing great. Good. It's nice to have you on the show. Yeah, appreciate it. I like the shirt, by the way. That's that's so much cooler than like a, a Ballast Point t shirt. You know, oh, yeah, this is custom. Yeah, yeah, just a yeah, printed shirt. That's, that's a little less classy. That's sweet. I'm, I, I was thinking about, you know, you can get. A shirt like that, like made with any brand, like you could totally like, you know, fake that you work for somebody, you know, just take a logo, have a shirt made, wander into the brewery, you know, I'm going to need to test these taps over here, you know, whatever. It could work. It's it's very believable. I mean, it happens to me all the time going into accounts. People, people won't recognize me unless I have a branded shirt on. (laughs) No, it's me, the Ballast Point guy. So I just pretty much wear branded stuff. How long have you been the Ballast Point guy? Uh, I've been with Ballast Point for about two and a half years. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you how that uh, got started, but first let's get started and taste our first, because we have a number of beers to taste here and I don't, I certainly don't want to run out of time. Yeah, sure. So we're going to start off with the Sculpin IPA. Um, you know, this is the beer that we're really known for. It's uh, Sculpin's that funky little orange fish you see on the label. Is that your best seller? Is the Sculpin oh, yeah. IPA? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah, it's really what, what we're thought. known for. Uh, it's a beautiful West Coast IPA. It really defines the style. Um, and although we were a brewery for a, about a decade before this beer came along, uh, it's it's hard to think of Alice Point without thinking about Sculpin IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was basically a homebrew recipe. Um, and, and we actually started as a homebrew shop in 92. We were called Homebrew Mart. And so oh, it's cool. it's no surprise that uh, this is actually a homebrew recipe that uh, kind of went big. So Is it difficult to keep a homebrew recipe consistent when you start producing it on the kind of scale oh, yeah. that, that Up, you do? Upscaling is very difficult. Um, it's, it's not a linear uh, process. You can't just multiply a recipe times five and right. expect it to turn out the same. Uh, so there's a lot of science that goes into that, a lot of art that goes into it. Um, it's a lot like cigar rolling, I think, because if you're making like the different sizes, uh, the different ring gauges, like you can't just put okay, this one just has more tobacco. Right, right. Like right. you've got to you've got to blend for that same flavor that you're trying right, to get yeah. for. Yeah. Sure. And so, um, what's unique about Sculpin is it was really one of the first beers, um, at least in in the San Diego area, uh, to get out of the the IBU race. IBUs meaning international bittering units. It generally measures how bitter a beer is. Mm-hmm. So at the time, IPAs were more earthy, piney, bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were really one of the first breweries to to sort of take a turn and try to create a beer that hits every metric that an IPA should right. uh, in terms of alcohol and, and flavor profile um, and IBUs, but, um, but it skews more 
tropical fruit, more citrus, and that's all from the hops. The hops we use in Sculpin are Simcoe and Amarillo. You get a lot of the zest kind of flavor mm-hmm. from this, like like uh, like the lemon zest or uh, orange zest kind and of you guys, flavors. Yeah. Yeah, Grapefruit you, zest. Even. You were definitely ahead of the trend on that because now, yes. this year especially, oh, that's yeah. become the thing. Everybody's uh, releasing their second or third IPA, and it's more citrusy and, and balanced sure. and less... Uh, what we always say, less pine cone. Yeah. Right. It's become yeah. the norm now, but Sculpin was certainly leading the way in that regard. And, um, you know, it's just a beautiful beer. As you mentioned, you get a lot of a citrus zest in there, apricot, lemon, mm-hmm. mango. Uh, we actually have this really cool machine at the brewery now in our quality lab that can measure um, sort of the fingerprint, the the aroma fingerprint, if you will, of, of the beer. And it, it sort of isolates each of the compounds that make up uh, the aroma and flavor of Sculpin, and it's it's literally like pineapple, papaya, mango, and even uh, juicy fruit. So the same chemical that you can measure in juicy fruit gum, you can find in Sculpin IPA. <laughs> I did not Brilliant. know that. That's awesome. Juicy yeah. fruit as See, a flavor. You, you cannot I, say that this show is not educational. I actually get a little bit of the mango in there, too. That's really yeah. nice. When you mentioned it, I was like, that's that, that's that other thing. But, you know, the other thing, too, is the finish. Like, this is a very bright-tasting IPA, but it has this warm... Um, Multi uh, linger to the finish that I really enjoy about it. Yeah, there's there's certainly a a bigger malt backbone than say you get from some of the more modern IPAs coming out now. Mm-hmm. Um, but relative to you know Big Eye, which is our sort of '90s style IPA, uh, which is much maltier, um, this beer is certainly known for almost the perfect balance between the hops and the malt. I mean, it yeah, doesn't beat up your nice, palate at all. Nice balance on the palate front to back, too. It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't just hit you in one area. Right. It's, it's also, uh, and I think because it's the more citrusy and fruit-forward sort of, a, but it's more refreshing than a lot of the IPAs that have the same kind of um, uh, impact, I guess, mm-hmm. that this has. A lot, a lot of IPAs, if they hit you with the same amount of strength as this has, they're not quite as refreshing. You seem to have been able to... A brew one that's got you know plenty of plenty of pow, right? But uh, but still isn't you know uh, it's it's more sessionable. I think. That's exactly yeah. right, and it's really you know it's been said before that um, you know our our head brewer um, at a, for a time Colby Chandler, who was actually one of the guys who who created Sculpin. Uh, that's a real person. That's not a friend's character. No, Colby Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> he's always said. Sorry, nineties reference. We were talking nineties. Well, he's always said that Sculpin is is an IPA that drinks like a pale ale, which kind of speaks to what you're talking about. Absolutely. Or yeah. In a lot of cases, yeah. it's, and I experience this all the time because I taste people on this beer just about every day. Um, people, it's an IPA for people that don't like IPAs. I, I can't tell you how many people I've, I've tasted on this beer, whether it's in the grocery store or at a bar, and they say, you know what, I don't like hoppy beers. I don't want to try it. Um, and I'm like, just give it a shot. And without fail, I mean, the worst reaction you ever get is just like, you know what, that's that's not bad. So it's right. it's almost like a gateway IPA. Uh, uh, yes, gets I people like it. into it. It's, I like try one. You know. Your friends are all doing it. So the next <laughs> one we're going to taste, and we're going to move through these reasonably fast because we've got a number of them, and I, I really want to get a chance to taste everything. So uh, the next one is... I'm going to guess, if this is your number one seller, that the next one is your number two. Am I right about that? Yeah, I mean, that? it's it's honestly 1-1-A, one, one uh, really? depending on, on where you are in the country and, and what market you're in. A grapefruit sculpin might actually edge the original. but And this is this is uh, exactly what this is. It's the grapefruit sculpin, and I'll let you describe that to us. But I will tell you that of your beers I have tasted, this one has so far been my favorite. Now, I'm wondering if I may wind up with a new favorite today, but uh, but this is good. Well, so the the interesting thing about Grapefruit Sculpin is it really started 
uh, as just a sort of a tap room one-off experiment and I want to say about three years ago. So it's, you know, Sculpin was created in 2005 and this just came around, you know, maybe 2013 or 2014 at the earliest. And, um, you know, what's great about this beer is, you know, as we just discussed with Sculpin, there's already this big citrus character to it from right. the hops. So you went even more citrus right. on this one. Yeah. So what Grapefruit Sculpin does and what we do is we add uh, grapefruit peel to the beer and it, it really just accentuates that citrus note. And you'll find when you drink it that it, it doesn't overwhelm the beer. It's it's just very complimentary uh, to what's it already a really citrusy definitely adds to the mouthfeel a bit. Like you can feel that that uh, that grapefruit peel in there, the, the mm-hmm. zest in there. Also, when I smell this, it's definitely grapefruit, but I almost smell like a like white grape almost kind of yeah. mm-hmm. maybe in mm-hmm. there. It almost in 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 the weirdest way, it's almost sweeter than the regular sculpin. In a way, but grapefruit is also sort of a tart, bitter fruit, mm-hmm. and so it sort of plays with sort of the bitterness of an IPA very nicely. I mean, really, grapefruit yeah. is just the perfect uh, adjunct flavor f- for an IPA, particularly one like sculpin that's tropical fruit oriented already. So, and again, I will say there's a number of them out now, but this is the first one I remember tasting. With grapefruit, yeah. Well, I can't say with confidence we were the first ever, but as far as commercially made big breweries, I, I mean, as far as I know, this is really the first fruited IPA, and and I think we still do it the best, even though you you point out that many breweries, because of the success of this beer, have sure. created similar, um, and similar versions. And the trend that's going on right now, of course, with the with the fruitier and more citrusy uh, beers, particularly IPAs, you're seeing a lot of companies trying. You know, trying their hand at it. Some mm-hmm. some have done really well. Others, right. you know, are not quite as good. But uh, this one's the original. I remember actually the uh, uh, the bar that's downstairs uh, in my building at uh, at the MKT bar. Um, that place had it on tap for a while, and that was the first place I tried it. And I was like, oh. You're talking about down there under the Phoenician? Yes. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it, right. Yeah. To, it's actually owned by the same people that own uh, yeah. Phoenician. Yeah. Love and, that spot. Yeah. And they. Um, they don't. Uh, I think they don't have a license for uh, hard alcohol, so everything's beer and wine. The cocktails are all beer and wine based, right. uh, but they do a wonderful job of curating their taps, and they rotate they them out a lot. And you get to try a lot of stuff that you know you might not go see somewhere else unless you were at one of those places that has a hundred taps, and then you might not try it because it's there's overwhelming. A, yeah, there's a hundred taps there. So right. Um, so this is good. Although that should be a goal of ours is to go to one of those places. And like over time, try every single try them all year, every yeah. tap. Well, you joke about that. That this summer we're we're doing this marketing campaign called the Summer of Sculpin, and it's a uh, hundred days of Sculpin. So it's from uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day is exactly a hundred days. So it is my personal goal to have at least one Sculpin every day for a hundred days. <laughs> so I'm on day eleven today. And how you doing? And so, well, well today, you're, today here you're we are. We've good. we've yes. satisfied. Uh, That's good the for sales too, right? Yeah. Plus, I, I can't stop myself. I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and pop this next. You're one. excited Let's about this next one, aren't you? So the next one is uh, we we have several varieties of Sculpin. In addition to grapefruit, we have a pineapple version. We have a habanero version, and on draft we've done more. More varieties than you can count, just draft-only specialties. Uh, this is the newest member of the family. It is called Unfiltered Sculpin. So if you've noticed, and I think we've sort of alluded to some of, of this already, there's there's a style of IPA out there called the uh, New England IPA. Mm-hmm. And it's characterized by being very juicy, a soft, creamy mouthfeel, and uh, hazy. 
And more, um, yeah, more unfiltered, right? You'll notice with most of our beers, we work really hard to make them beautiful and crystal clear. Uh, that is a sign of good brewing, but mm-hmm. um, I guess you could say we're jumping on the bandwagon a little bit by making what is an unfiltered beer and therefore a little bit hazy. So it's not going to be as hazy as those New England beers, mm-hmm. but um, we we just don't filter it. Um, but then what really makes it cool is we dry hop it with all the sexy hops like Mosaic, Galaxy, Citra. Um, so it's like sculpin sort of on steroids. I love it. It's it's uh, really, and I'm usually not as big a fan of the unfiltered beers, but this really is delicious. That's what do you good. think, Gary? I like this one best. Yo, best so far? It's still All sculping. Right. Well, there's a lot more um, ballast point to taste, plus uh, we have the Three Sheets rum, and we'll get to that coming up. It's smoking and Toasting. Thanks for listening. is showing the Facebook Live viewers the dancing beer can. That's pretty good. I like it. You got you got rhythm there, bud. <laughs> I like that. At least in my hands. Welcome back to Smoking and Toasting. We are uh, visiting with James Brown uh, from Ballast Point, and our next uh, beer is the one that he brought that's actually in a can. And while Ian opens that... Oh, yeah, good. Uh, sound effects. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, 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 the good sound effects on the show are real. The bad ones are from the little... Uh, Sound effects box, yeah. Um, while you're pouring that, I, I really wanted to say thank you, by the way, for continuing to brew most of your beers and bottling them. Because Ian may differ with me on this, but I am a fan of bottled beer. And this recent trend of everybody going to everything in the can, I'm just I'm disturbed by it. There's they're great beers, All right. but so I want to I want to point this out. First off, um, I don't mind bottles. I kind of like cans better because cans. But why is that? Like bottles stay cooler. Because cans don't get skunked. Well, like mm. as much. Like you don't get sunlight issues or anything like that. Right. And I pour everything into a glass anyway. There are some quality advantages to a can. Uh, it's like a mini keg uh, in a lot of ways. And so you know, you point out the obvious one: sunlight can't get through this. Now, a brown bottle blocks out almost ninety percent of UV rays, but. It's still not perfect. So for freshness, a can can be better. That said, it really depends on the brewery. Um, dissolved oxygen is a huge enemy for freshness in beer. And um, when you're bottling or canning, or, or kegging for that matter, if you're not good at keeping dissolved oxygen out of the package, then it's gonna, it won't skunk your beer, but it'll taste like cardboard. So I'm assuming that canning the beer, though, is much less expensive than bottling it. Is that true? You know, it would depend on whether a canning line or a bottling line is more expensive, and I'm honestly not sure because mm. <laughs> I, I don't deal ass- with production yeah. too much. I just assume that the glass, you know, just the raw materials alone, uh, yeah. the glass bottles were probably more expensive to acquire or, or have made. However, what, I don't know what the process even is, whether they're uh, something that you generally have custom made or whether there's, uh, you know, a place that makes like, a whole bunch of different styles, yeah. and each brewery picks one and then puts their stuff on it. Well, I, there are companies that do it, but <clears throat> you know, we actually we're pretty good at using used materials. And our, our former head brewer Yusuf, and one of the founders of Ballast Point, he was sort of a like a brewing MacGyver, and he would just travel. <laughs> he would travel in some cases the world buying old equipment and converting it uh, for our uses. So actually, our first canning line was an old Dr Pepper canning line that Yusuf sort of rigged up nice. uh, with the help of our engineers, and, and we ran on that for quite some time until we had enough money to get a, a shiny new one. And um, a, a lot of your beers are available in both bottles and cans, correct? Yeah, we always, we're sort of an old school brewery, and we always start with the bottle first, 
and uh, any new beer will come out in a bottle, and then it'll come out in, in a can. Uh, so for the most part, we make both packages. So this guy is uh, in a can. What do we what do we drink? Oh, this beer? is this is Benito Blonde. So we've never done a blonde ale before, um, but it's a really it's a style growing in popularity. And if you do what I do for a living, which means you drink a lot, it's really nice on festival days to have. This is to hit the a nice sessionable blonde ale. What's the ABV on that? It's four and a half percent. Yeah, nice. Um, and you know you'll find that I think drinking all these different style of beers, all of our beers sort of have this trademark balance to them. They're all really approachable. Um, you know, even a blonde ale, which can be kind of a boring style, I think we add add some some zip to. And partly how we do that is this is actually dry hopped with Cascade hops. So Cascade's kind of the quintessential American hop uh, grown in in the American Northwest. And so dry hopping it uh, just to the right degree gives it a real nice subtle uh, hop complexity in the aroma and the flavor. Um, but I'm loving this beer. It's a brand new beer this year. Uh, I like that it's malty up front. It's yeah. got it's got a really nice kind of maltiness. So it's not it's not a big malt. But it's got a nice flavor and it's a light drinking. What not I, a light beer, but a light drinking kind. What of I like most so, about sessionable. it, yeah. What I like most about it is that I really like Blondales for their sessionability mm-hmm. and the fact that they're you know a little lighter and easier to drink. Uh, sometimes, particularly like you were saying, if you're at a festival or sure. something like that in the summer. Um, but what I what I often am a little disappointed in uh, blondes is I'm not usually happy with the after the aftertaste, like yeah. the the finish. And you guys have solved that problem with this. Like this has the same sort of pleasant finish that Sculpin does, but on a lighter, more sessionable. Sure. The uh, aftertaste type of beer. almost just goes away after a month. Yeah, it's it like, really is. I honestly think that is a that's a trademark of Ballast Point beers. They it's, it's they all quick. finish like that. They're um, no matter what style you're drinking, they just sort of leave your palate um, without. Really hanging around and yeah, we tried out. a couple of good blondes in the last several shows, but this one I think uh, this this may be my favorite uh, blonde ale that That's I've had. Delicious. It's really really well, cheers. good. Cheers! I'm glad you it's, like uh, it. It's really really good, and I think that you know that's one of the things that's so wonderful about the sort of craft beer explosion is that it's got you've got so many different brewers at so many different breweries trying their hand at things somebody's going to improve on you know everything i mean i remember for years i thought harpoon ipa was the best ipa i'd ever tasted and i still love it but that has been around for a while and like there's some other guys at other breweries who've like tried some different things and and raise the bar a little bit raise the bar absolutely (laughs) and that's that's no slight to harpoon which i love but uh uh but it's, it's just interesting um this has definitely now happened with the blonde deal. This is this is a winner. Thank you. Yeah, it's I'm really excited about it. Um, so we'll move into another new beer. It's called Sea Rose. Uh, tell is, us about this. Sea Rose is a, is a really neat beer. It came out of our R and D brewery, um, brewed by a guy named Nate Stevens. It was origi- excuse me originally called Coral, um, but this beer is it's a tart cherry wheat, mm. uh, almost sort of like a beginner sour. Uh, it's not going to mm-hmm. be. Not as tart, maybe as some of the yeah. sours that are out Not there. Not like Petrus. Yeah, but it's sort of a nice, a nice love bridge the into the color. style. It's almost like a uh, well, it looks like a rosé. Yeah, it really is. So we jokingly call it brosé at the brewery, but <laughs> uh, but I mean, love that brilliant. You know, we just got finished drinking a, a light sessionable blonde ale, perfect for summer. Well, this is this is also perfect for summer. It's only four percent alcohol, which is exceptionally light. Um, as you mentioned, the color is beautiful. And this yet, has a bit of a similar profile to the other one, I think. To too. the blonde, yeah. 
It's uh, I love it's it got on a nose. nice little it's sour really snap to it that's really, right. like, sour in a really good way. You'll notice, by the way, that every time we open a new beer, Ian is the first to taste it. Always, yeah. always, You always. guys talk too much. <laughs> 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 you guys talk entirely too much. Yeah, I just, uh, I just, I just think this beer is, I drink I just think beer. This beer is super cool. Uh, the color's beautiful, and uh, even though it's an easy to drink beer it's not mm-hmm. boring it just has like just something interesting about it it it's that little bit of tartness i think that what's funny it, is this has an even quicker finish than that blonde it's like it almost does. instantly gone and, and it's but also, it's good it's, it's not also, like it's lacking a finish it right. just is a very very quick finish it's also not even as tart like some of the sour beers are really sour mm-hmm. my favorite ones are slightly less sour like we talk all the time about how much we love the St. Arnold uh, raspberry, raspberry AF, AF. Last night. Mm-hmm. but this is not nearly as tart as that. It just mm-hmm. has that little hint yep. just kiss of up, tartness. Yeah, yeah. Right. it's good. It's really, and really it shares a lot of the same characteristics as rosé. Um, but of course, rosé being made with grapes and this being a grain-based beverage. But um, if you if you drink them side by side, they really do. Share some similarities. So, is there such a thing as the sea rose fish? Like, no, I don't, here, I don't believe that, so. Is that a fictional thing? I don't believe so. That kind of looks like an exaggerated, like, beta, the fighting fish, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of does. And yeah, I should mention all of the uh, artwork on our beers is done by a, by a guy named Paul Elder. He's really been our artist since since Ballast Point's inception. And, and that's uh, something that really, I think, sets Ballast Point apart is that your artwork has always been. Yeah interesting and different from a lot of other beers you know yeah it's the artwork's incredible uh he keeps getting better too it's like he's been at art school for 20 years and you can just see <laughs> and when we get to red velvet you can see how how great the uh the new artwork is yeah the new artwork is almost this one and i'm looking at the red velvet we will get to it in one of the next segments but it almost looks like like when you see like a Volkswagen Beetle that's been wrapped with uh, some sort of like uh, advertising <laughs> right, message, it's, right. it's, yeah. it's it's kind of that style the way it's it looks, awesome. you know. Instead of the the typical you know beer paper beer label pasted onto the uh, to the bottle, so it's uh, so it's good. What did you open? <laughs> so I just, I, you're going to like this one because I, just from the smell when I opened it, you're going to like this one. It's very happy. This is the Manta Ray the Manta Ray Double IPA. IPA. Yeah, so this is also a new beer we just came out with. Um, We've had, we basically were one of the breweries that sort of invented the double IPA style. That's another one at Colby Chandler's. It was called Dorado. But that was a really old school double. Uh, big, malty, you know, bitter double IPA. This is a really modern double. First thing I'd like to point out is the color. Um, I mean, if, if you hold it up, it basically looks like a lager. It, it really a, does. It doesn't straw, look like a double yellow. IPA at all. It's in a color. super clean beer, uh, straw colored. Mm. Um, it's basically liquid hop juice. This is the hoppiest beer we've ever done. Um, but as we've sort of touched on several times, it still has that trademark balance uh, that all of our beers have. This is an 8.5% alcohol beer, and there is almost no bite to it on the back end it's at all. It's the Manta Ray Double IPA. And it's, uh, I haven't taken the first sip, but boy, on the nose, this is awesome. Just awesome. Ian, thoughts? I know. See, um, just so you know, I'm kind of the hop guy. He's kind of the malt guy. So I'm always interested in what he thinks of the hoppier sure. beers because of how they how they play to somebody who's not just going. Uh, I love IPAs. <laughs> it smells great. I mean, IPAs always smell beautiful because that mm-hmm. that hop, flowery, floral kind of scent that you get is is so nice. This is so incredibly hoppy. Like this is a little over the top, but it's in a good way. Like I took a sip, I wasn't entirely sure if it was going to be for me, but now that I've taken a sip and I thought about it for a minute, I actually want another sip. Yeah. Well, 
I can tell you from from my first sip, like I'm really excited about this beer, and this is the first time that I've tried Manta Ray. This has been out for a while, uh, a little bit, but it's it's new. But it's probably been here since about March. For something that is as hoppy as this beer, the way you guys have again finished it with that more citrusy thing—that's kind of your trademark. You could have something like this with a cigar, and it wouldn't make the cigar bitter. Mm-hmm. And that's always that's my number one complaint about IPAs. I love drinking them. But they're not as good with cigars because of the bitterness sometimes. This would totally work. All right, smoking and toasting. Uh, We'll be right back. We have rum uh, next, and there's so much going on. Counting the days till I see these guys again. And you're going to be there, too. And the I'm going to be Suffers there. are playing with the Houston Symphony Orchestra. I think we're sitting, like, right in front of I you, right? I think we are, yeah. So try, you know, uh, just if if you would, could I watch the actual concert instead of watching your phone the no. whole time? I've got, you, I've got this iPad Pro. Oh. <laughs> so, like, I can block so everybody behind that's me. That's like taking a, uh, a large screen television <laughs> to the show. And uh, and you, you're helping the people on the uh, that are out on the grass is what you're doing. Uh, Plus, you know, I just drink my show. beer and toss the can or bottle yeah, back. see, that's, <laughs> you know. that's, a, so, that's a party foul, man. You can't, <laughs> you can't bring that to the concert. <laughs> uh, it's Smoking and Toasting. This is the uh, program that... It's all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. And uh, we're moving through the show really fast today here uh, because James uh, Brown from um, Ballast Point has brought a number of beers to taste, and we thank you for that. We we like the shows where there's more more different things well, to Well, our taste, strategy so. was to move through the beers real fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, upon second reflection, we could have just tried a couple beers and taken the rest home. Well, there's a thought that, but I, you know, to, to be fair to <laughs> Promising James, to write yeah, an yeah, essay I got more. We make one. a lot of beers. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I understand that you, uh, the Ballast Point also used to be in the spirit business. We'll talk about that a little bit, but speaking of the spirit business, um, the... Uh, the wind has shifted in the UK, and for the first time, the government of uh, the UK is making more money from spirit sales than from beer sales, specifically gin. Of course, because the you know the gin craze is sweeping the UK. I don't think it's fully caught on in the United States the way it has uh, the way it has over there. But for the first time. Uh, the UK, uh, thanks to the gin boom, sales of spirits are earning more money for the treasury uh, than beer for the first time ever. So I thought that was—I just thought that was very interesting. And I don't know—I don't know what the alcohol taxes are in the UK or any of those things, but uh, but I thought if if you were to say that about the US, I'd be stunned, right. stunned. But uh, but gin alone is surpassing beer in the UK. And look, the Brits like their beer, too. So. Well, and how many more brands and, and uh, companies have come up started making gin when for so many years there was a couple? Like it was right, a few, there was just know? a couple, particularly in the more premium gin And just in the last like five yeah. and six years, it's, it's like company after company. Now the gin aisle is huge, where it used to be mm-hmm. a little part on the end of one of the other aisles, you know? So this, <laughs> this actually raises an interesting um, thought about balance. Point uh, and James is here from Ballast Point with a number of awesome beers that we've tried so far and more to come. But um, Ballast Point at one point was in the spirits business as well, correct? Yes, we were. In fact, we've been distilling since 2008. It's only recently that that part of our company spun off into a, a separate company called Cutwater. But I see that you happen to come across what I guess is now a vintage uh, 
relic okay, of you, our you of our to, former distilling story past. About, well, about this. Yeah, I'm so excited about this because I I love just randomness and and coincidences. And uh, I went yesterday to uh, Specs. Uh, which there's one uh, close to my house that they've got a rum aisle that's really, really awesome. And I thought I would get us a rum to sample on the show today. Uh, since I knew you were bringing the beers in, I'd get us a rum and that we, you know, we've done, I think we did uh, whiskey and uh, we did a tequila last week. And so I thought, oh, we haven't done a rum in a while. I'll get us a rum. And I, I love premium rums. So I'm scanning the shelves for something I haven't tried that's not $130. Um, because it's not payday yet, uh, and I was uh, I, I kind of settled on uh, this interesting looking bottle. Uh, I said, well, you know, I've seen this several times. I'll, I'll we'll try this one. It's three sheets uh, rum, and it's uh, barrel aged. So I thought, well, this would be interesting. And it wasn't until I got it home. Ooh, that's good. It wasn't until I got it home that I looked at the logo on it, and it says Ballast Point. And I realized, okay, we're going to have an all Ballast Point show. Uh, because apparently this is something that uh, Ballast Point distills. But you're telling me that this this part of the company has now been spun off, right? It has, yes. But the the bottle you have is is clearly labeled Ballast Point, and it was distilled at our at our distillery in Scripps Ranch in San Diego. And it's funny because I actually know quite a bit about this because I used to sell it when it was part of our portfolio. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought this. This is one of my favorite spirits that we. That we make or used to make, and there's several uh, several variations of the uh, three sheets, but this is the more premium of the three. Is that it, right? It is, and so this is our our white rum that is barrel aged in a in a in American oak, mm-hmm. uh, charred American oak, as you would treat bourbon. So mm-hmm. our white rum is distilled from or was distilled from pure cane sugar. <laughs> He's which, slipping back into the present, which yeah. is uh, <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about it in a while, honestly. But um, so you're testing my my memory here, but uh, the white rum, I guess, is is somewhat unique in that it's distilled from pure cane sugar rather than molasses mm-hmm. or agricole. Um, and so it's that uh, white rum that goes into uh, American oak with a heavy char, uh, medium toast on the ends. And I, th- I believe these batches are four years aged. Um, so you're going to get, you know, I mean, when you smell it, you're getting a beautiful bourbon nose. Mm-hmm. And the, the barrel aging gives it a wonderful sort of amber color, too. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't stay white. It uh, it definitely, definitely has picked up some characteristics sure. from the aging uh, color wise. No, and the clarity in the bottle is really nice. Too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it smells absolutely wonderful. It's, I get vanilla on the nose. It's and, like vanilla and uh, molasses and mm-hmm. banana, just like mm, yes, madness. banana for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah the vanilla is sure. really prominent. If you yeah. were to smell the white rum, uh, you'd get that. Also, and so when you put it in the barrel, of course, then it's well, and that's accentuated, yeah, yeah by the barrel mm-hmm. by a ton. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, the oaky dryness on the end too, mm-hmm. which is not what you usually get with a rum. It has a wonderful really about half second delay burn to it, yeah. which I love. Yeah, yeah? burns great. <laughs> I love. It's just like it's like you think, oh, this is not going to have. A- oh, <laughs> there <laughs> <You> it know? <laughs> is. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And I suppose the sugar cane, you know, makes it. Maybe a little sweeter, but bourbon is is sweet, you know, well, generally from corn. So it, mm-hmm. it it's sort of, it honestly, it just sort of drinks like bourbon, which I love bourbon. Well, so. it's also it, not uh, like uh, like I always think of uh, rum as being a little bit thicker liquid, and this is just, this is mm-hmm. not actually. It's interesting because this the sugar is on the very front when you fr- the first yeah. taste you get you get a lot of the sugar, and then 
as it as it sort of lingers in your mouth, you get the vanilla, mm-hmm. and then that half second delay burn hits you, and you're like, oh, that's a, <laughs> that's a nice spirit. Yeah, yeah, this mm. is really cool stuff. Well, we've tasted a number of rums on the show, and I really have to say, this is this is spectacular. It really yeah, is. This is a good rum. Mm, it I, really is. I definitely agree with that. You've uh, now turned me into like appreciating rums. And see, uh, still a little weirded is, out by that. This is actually a, a goal of mine because I think rum is an underappreciated spirit. Coming from a guy that I would have told you, uh, my favorite spirit was tequila for you know for years. Yeah, uh, and then you know Ian has turned me on to so many like great scotches and bourbons and uh, but. Yeah, I, I love returning the favor with the rum. This <laughs> is good. This has become a, a real uh, a real obsession of mine. I've got way too many rums in the bar. <laughs> well, you you bought me a bottle of the Zacapa um, yes. a while back mm-hmm. too, and I actually uh, had some of that the other night. <laughs> no, it's, I also what, what the little bit that I have left in my wife. One of the things great. I love about rum is it's great with cigars. Yeah, great yeah. with cigars. True. I, I just think rum is fun. It's <laughs> it's like a spirit that doesn't take itself so seriously. You know? Yes, that's a really good way to put yeah. it, and it also kind of transports me to the uh sort of beach and and you know tropical kind of environment perfect Wait, for ballast point that's for what you're trying to do relaxing thing, you can't you know? envision a lot of snooty rum drinkers is no, that what's going no, on right? no, like, that, that's that's just right. yeah. i mean rum gave us tiki or maybe it's i don't know chicken or egg <laughs> but I mean, tiki is just tiki's fun and let's just say this it's what the pirates drank so uh, yes i mean you, you gotta love it for that you know they don't talk about uh you know, about having cast full of other spirits. They talk about having, you know, cast full of rum. Which begs so. the question, what do you do with a drunken sailor? Uh, you know, we asked this on a previous show, and I, I don't believe we came up with a good answer. Not sure. If you have the answer, um, if hit you, us up on Facebook. If you know how to deal with a drunken sailor, let us know. That's a that's an important... Uh, we'll get... Before this show ends... Not My today, wife can but, tell you what to do with a drunken musician. <laughs> <laughs> And that's good to know. <laughs> she, she's got that one down. That's good to know because that's that's a you know that that can be that's, an issue. That's an important life hack right that's there. Can be an issue, uh, James. I, I was going to ask you about Ballast Point being in San Diego. San Diego is, isn't it kind of going through or has gone through maybe a, a sort of a beer renaissance? Isn't it like one of the when I when I think of beer places, I think of. You know, kind of the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. and I think of the sort of New England region. Lately, Texas has really come on as a craft beer uh, type of place. But San Diego, more so to me than Los Angeles or San Francisco. Is that accurate? Uh, absolutely. San Diego, I mean, Denver and Portland Denver, might, yeah. might take issue sure, with this. Sure. But, you know, I'm biased. But for my money, San Diego's the craft brewing headquarters of, of the United States. It, it seems like anytime I, I you know, I'm looking for stories about craft beer, you know, news stories and you search in the internet, it's so often they are datelined uh, San Diego. Yeah. I mean, you've got Stone, Green Flash, Ballast Point um, are kind of the big three national mm-hmm. players mm-hmm. Out, of, out of San Diego. But we're, depending on what estimate you're going on, we have about 150 breweries in San Diego County. Wow. So, that's a lot. Um, I'm not sure how many are in Texas now. I'm sure it's over 100, but... Uh, I mean, just 150 just in San Diego County tells you it's just a part of the culture out there. In mm-hmm. fact, um, there's more uh, Sculpin tap handles than there are Coors Light tap handles. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal because yeah. mm-hmm. uh, 
because even you know even like I remember when I moved to Boston and Harpoon was like so ubiquitous there and it, it was really what got me drinking craft beer in the first place sure uh, but still you would go in and yes there would be a Harpoon IPA tap but there also would be you know Budweiser Miller Coors like the 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 main you know primary brand so that's amazing to me that there's more sculpt and tap handles. It's just part of the culture. Diego. Everybody out there drinks craft beer, um, you know, because those of us that are in craft beer sort of feel like everybody's into craft beer, and you right. see it everywhere, and it, it feels <laughs> right. a lot bigger than it actually is. Uh, and I don't remember what the estimates are nationally. I think it's somewhere around like twelve percent mm-hmm. of of the um, sort of a market share for craft beer. Um, and in San Diego, it's it's upwards of thirty. So that just gives you a, an, well, an indication. If you want to know where things are going, and I told this story on a previous show. Um, I was at the U2 concert not too long ago, and there's three, four people in line for the mainstream brews, the lines for the, you know, little craft beer, way, way longer. So, I don't know. That's an indication. That's not necessarily the U2 show, not necessarily the young, you know, trendy crowd. This is... Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little older, looking for mm-hmm. uh, looking for a good brew. So, anyway, that's interesting. We have more beers to taste, and I'm really excited. Well, we'll just get to it when we come back. There's <laughs> great beer ahead. That's what the rum made me think of. It's like just being on the beach, like settling down, no shoes, toes in the sand. Welcome back. Our final segment uh, for this show. For Smoking and Toasting, it's show number 44. And James Brown from uh, Ballast Point is with us. Uh, James, just a quick question about the name. Was that like a cool thing growing up or was it like a pain in the ass? Oh, my. Being James na- Brown? Being named James Brown, yeah. It's, it's cool. I yeah. mean, I, I've never met a person that didn't. They didn't make the about comment, it. sure. But um, you got to be tired of hearing that. No, but I, I think it's fun. It, it's a cool name. James Brown's the man, so yeah. I'm going to be named after James Brown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's better yeah. to be named after James Brown than, you know, there's some other yeah. names that will be. Sure, yeah. yeah. You could be named after a lot of different people. And, you know, James, obviously a fairly common first name, and Brown a fairly common last name, so it's going to happen. Right. You know, there's gonna yeah, be, there's got to be a lot of me, but yeah. <laughs> still, the novelty never wears off. <laughs> when did you get started with Ballast Point? A couple of years ago? Uh, about two and a half years ago. And yeah. how did that come about? Oh, man, I, I sort of had a, a non-traditional path. Uh, I used to be a lawyer, actually. No kidding. Yeah, and uh, I started a craft beer and music festival here in Houston with one of my buddies called uh, 1836 Fest. And mm. he was also an attorney. We went to law school together. And um, so I sort of built a network in the industry doing that. And around then I just quit my job because I really hated being a lawyer. And um, around that time, Ballast Point was looking to expand and hire people in Texas. And so I had just left my job. And through through that festival, I kind of had, had uh, built had relationships with them. Relationship, and yeah. uh, it wasn't really my plan, but... Uh, it was sort of right place, right time, and I interviewed, and a couple weeks later, I was out in San Diego drinking some Sculpin, so I've nice. been doing that ever since. Nice. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, what was the significance of 1836? Uh, well, it was, the idea was, we were we were both fans of music, but 
go to music festivals and they always had terrible beer. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't it be great if you go to a music festival and, and get have great like, beer. good yeah. beer? Yeah. So that was sort of the impetus for the idea. And um, then we just, uh, we actually did it at a place called Cottonwood out on North Shepherd. Mm-hmm. They let mm-hmm. us sort of close down Cottonwood for a day and they have a huge lot that's since been paved, but we sort of built stages in the parking lot. And the idea was just to have, you know, uh, a music festival with good bands, but with good beer. With great beer, yeah. And uh, no one really does anything for Texas Independence Day, which is March 2nd, mm-hmm. and 1836 is the, the founding year of Texas. So we thought, why don't we just do Texas craft breweries, Texas bands, and do this sort of like Texas Independence-themed music festival, and that's what we did. So we don't do it anymore, awesome. Yeah, but it was a great success, and it sort of led me to, to what I'm doing now. So, so And now you're with Ballast Point, and mm-hmm. uh, obviously this is a – a company with a reasonably large portfolio. So you're not very large. You're not like <laughs> yeah. you're not like just repping the three four beers. There's a how, how many like at one time how many different brands are you trying to get on shelves and on taps? I mean, we we make hundreds of beers, no exaggeration, but I'd say just what's being made on an ongoing basis that you could you could get at any given time um between 60 and 90, somewhere around there, wow. that we're just brewing all the time. Now, we don't necessarily have all of those in this market. We try to, you know, there's only so much shelf space and there's only so much tap wall space, but um, but we certainly have basically every style under the sun and then some styles that we've created, like now, the beer we're about to try. I was going to say, this, <laughs> nice this is one of those, uh, maybe a little more exotic, maybe a little more creative beers. Is this one that is, um, this, is this brand new or has this been out for a while? I tried to go for the sound effect, but I failed hard. Um, so this this beer is called Red Velvet. It is it's new this year, okay, um, and it's sort of a Q one seasonal beer for us. Uh, that's an industry term for quarter one, for first quarter, yeah. Yeah, um, but uh, this is a golden oatmeal stout with beets and chocolate. It drinks like a red velvet cake. Uh, and it is a nitro beer, so we'll try to give it some of that nitro effect. Oh, so you pour it kind of hard. Yeah, to you get pour the it a little hard. To, to, yeah, a little on the and counter. Kind of has that yeah beautiful, I like it. I like it. beautiful I like cascade. It. Yeah. But now this so, this is also packaged very look differently. Look at the color than on that. Beers. Like seriously, look at the color. Yeah, on that. that's awesome. This is packaged differently too than your other beers. Yeah, right? in fact, I mean, we I don't know if we touched on the artwork. I think we did a few segments ago. Uh, Paul Elder's art, and uh, this is this is one of his best. It's. We, do, we either do fish or pirate skeletons, but this is sort of a, a king skeleton uh, getting after some red velvet cake and drinking some beer. Well, I love the whole skeleton and Day of the Dead thing. I would have tried, had I seen this, you know, on the shelf before uh, I was here with you, I would have definitely bought it and tried it, it just even, based on it the It even outcome. says on the bottle, pour with a purpose. That's pour right. with a purpose. It's a good yes. marketing way to say just So it's dump red it velvet, out. and you say it... it it's designed to taste like a red velvet cake. Tell it me is. again how you do that. So, so this is a golden stout. Um, but wow, the, this doesn't look like a stout at all. I know. Well, it's infused with beets, which gives it this beautiful red color, perhaps a little earthiness. The color mm. is awesome. I will tell you, I'm not a fan of beets, but but well, this it's, smells, it's really not going to smell this though. This smells is crazy. really good. smells a little earthy, but it's not going to taste like beets. And so mm. you'll you'll get um, you'll get a big chocolate character from it. Wow. You can smell the chocolate character. And I see you so, tasted it before me this time. This is this is so interesting because this looks like like maybe a raspberry fruit beer, like just the way it appe- the appearance, right? Mm-hmm. But when you taste it, it is definitely a stout. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it has the stout mouthfeel. It's it kind has of like a, everything about it. It's kind of like against what your expectations are uh, a little bit. When right. You, That's so bizarre. And what's so cool about this beer, too, is it works on a lot of levels. Um, you know, it, it the the head of the beer looks like frosting, um, and the, the creaminess from the nitro just gives it, it – it's like cake. It looks like cake. It drinks like it cake. It tastes and, like and it cake. it tastes like cake, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like if you – we're eating a bite of red velvet cake and washing it down with the Guinness. That's kind of what this like reminds me of. Yeah. So this was a R and D beer again by a guy named Nate Stevens, who was our R and D brewer. He's since moved on to found his own brewery in San Diego. But, um, you know, this was just a crazy cool beer he came up with, and they took it to GABF, and it was just the most popular beer at GABF. People couldn't get enough of it, and so we decided to package it. So I know you're not Nate, but how does a guy come up with an idea to do this? Well, you know? Nate's, Nate's job, he has the job, if you were to ask him, he was sort of what, what all homebrewers think that brewers actually do. Right. He you had that and job. come up with new stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, most if you work at Ballast Point and you're a brewer, you pretty much brew Sculpin. <laughs> that, right, that's right, what right. you because do. Because that's what your big demand is. That's for, what yeah. you do. Um, and God bless him for doing that. But Nate had a really cool job in that he was supposed to create sort of our next wave of beers. Yeah. And right. so he was in there every day um, experimenting and coming up with cool ideas and trying to create beers that uh, either hadn't been done before or hadn't been done in a certain way. And there's not a lot of ground that hadn't been covered, but this is certainly Well, I love this. The the red velvet is, is really delicious. And I don't want to move on from it too fast, but I do want to give us to time. Because the limited release is yeah, so, sitting here with So a, we, we do have something really special on. here today. Uh, this We do have a barrel aging program, but it's it's sort of in its infancy. I mean, the program's been around forever. We've just never made enough of it to to distribute. So this is not for sale in Texas or anywhere outside of So when you say that, who, who gets this beer then? Like, I realize we're we getting do. it today, but... They, but this, like, this is to make everybody that listens to us a little bit jealous. So you would have to go to the brewery on a day where they release it and... Um, That'd be the only time for public it. consumption, right? right. So I, ha- I was lucky enough, because I know people, to get one of these. <laughs> nice. So this is, this is a barrel-aged version of our Imperial Porter Victory at Sea. Victory at Sea is and That's one of your normal beer. bands. Yeah, uh, uh, brands, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> so Victory at Sea is an Imperial delicious. Porter. It's infused with coffee and Madagascar vanilla bean. That's mm-hmm. also one of Colby Chandler's recipes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy from Friends? No. <laughs> and uh, no, the creator of Sculpin. Oh, okay. At gotcha, this point, gotcha. yeah. So uh, this, Sculpin this is that beer, uh, bourbon barrel aged in eight, for eight months in a Woodford Reserve bourbon barrel. So uh, the guy who does this is a guy named Steve Anderson, or S.A. as we call him. He is the, the barrel master. You say, hey, S.A.? Yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. A, class. No, no, he's a Hispanic guy. That's essays. that's the uh, that's the play on words. It's uh, fun. Okay. All right. Uh, so I see you. This is corked. It's corked. Yeah. yeah. So you pulling the cork out, and uh, we are like running short on time. So I want to make sure we get. So a let's chance go ahead to and taste. pour it real quick. Yeah, quickest taste ever. There you go. Mm-hmm. And that is wow. Oh, it smells so good. It this the is coffee and the yeah. You can oh, it looks like a foamy cup of coffee. Oh, loving oh, so, it! There's something else loving in there. the uh, the taste, uh, the 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 smell rather. We got to pour some for Bobby oh, here too. Oh, Bobby has to have some. Yes. Bobby's thirsty. Yeah, I saw the I saw the glass come back across for this one. So, wow, uh, Ian, thoughts on your initial? Uh, well, I haven't tried it yet. I'm just smelling it and holding the bottle mm-hmm. right now. 
It's um it smells okay. amazing though. So, so I'm I'm just gonna say this as we as we kind of tick down to the end of the show here. Oh my god. This makes me want to sit and contemplate everything. Well, does, I was hoping we'd have sense? cigars in the studio. Well, yeah, I so wish good. I Bobby wish we Franz could, but that. so what we'll do is we'll have you back, James, when we're on location and we can actually uh, smoke during the show because this would go great. We could do a whole show on how good this beer is. Oh my God, this is. Uh, did you show this to the like, camera again? Is, yes, it is so malty and wow. so wonderful and this so coffee. This has got to be like one of your favorite beers. And so ever. like, it's unbelievable. Malt, hops, yeast combined create endless possibilities in our beers. And the introduction of barrel opens up an entire new flavor journey. But I will say this again: you can't go to the store and buy this, right? No, you'd have to go to the brewery oh. to get it. Wow. And, uh, they probably don't have any just sitting around. Would you? Will th- would something like this ever come out though? Uh, as we expand our barrel aging program, we hope to be able to bottle and distribute this. But it's um, and that's actually underway. So we do have a new barrel aging facility. But for now, um, we're we'll, just we don't have production capacity. Well, so. we'll be waiting in line to get it when it does. James, right. we want to thank you for being on yeah. the show. We've kind of rushed through today's show because we got a lot of uh, a lot of things to taste. But boy, has it been fun! Great it has beers. been fun. Balance Very point. substantive. Thank you. Balance <laughs> point. Go get some sculpin and uh, try it if you haven't. And uh, we will see you um, in two weeks. This is Radio Brave. Keep listening. It gets even better. Now let's do it up. Ra- Ra- Radio Brave.